Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Brainwaves. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Uh, My name is Kiara and in studio today we have uh, Sarah and Lauren. Um, Hi guys. Hi. (laughs) Um, Today we're going to be um, having a bit of a discussion and talking to Sarah who is a team member of the well, he's a member of the Brainwaves team um, and who will be talking about her lived experience of major depression um, and we'll be talking about um, relapse and what that looks like and life after relapse as well. Um, so thank you so much, Sarah, for um, talking about your experience on the show today. That's okay. You're welcome. I'm um, honoured to be here. I enjoyed telling my story so that other people can learn from it. Hmm. That's great. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey over the past few years then? Yeah, sure. Uh, So basically, I started noticing some symptoms when I was at school. Uh, I was in about year eight, I think it was. And uh, well, look, it was was at school, but it was also at home. Um, So at school, I felt very depressed, like I was just crying for no, well, I didn't think it was for any particular reason, but it was under it all when it all came out. Um, and then at home as well, uh, I had a like what might seem like a very um, simple thing happen, which my family couldn't really understand. Was I? Um, I just thought it was really depressing that my family were watching TV. Um, so I was just saying, I don't understand how you can watch TV when you know, because I just felt so distraught, like um, very emotional. And my family were saying, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, we all watch TV, and you've always watched TV with us. But all of a sudden, that became a problem for me. And how old were you when this uh, when this happened? So fourteen, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah. And it just felt um, very overwhelming. Just the concept that people can sit still and um, focus on a television screen. But prior to that, it had always been something I enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. So, what were some of the initial signs of the depression when you were younger? Um, so obviously the crying, like I kept thinking it was about something else that happened in the family, family violence, um, but it ended up being more serious than that. So a history of trauma that ended up coming up. Um, and that took me a couple of years to come to that realisation because I'd actually blocked it all out of my past, um, as you do, self-protect. Um, so... Yeah, and it was also, I must say, it was very difficult because I'm an identical twin sister, um, twin. So you didn't know you were a twin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my little surprises. Um, but she didn't have the same symptoms as me or anything. Like I felt like her life was completely different to mine and there was just something very wrong with me. So um, accepting the whole um, diagnosis of depression was hard for me, So I must say. Yeah. That must have been really hard having a, a twin who... I imagine that she's been unaffected by mental illness. Yeah, yes, so, you know, right. you've got a kind of an exact copy of yourself and it's very hard not to kind of compare yourself to, mm. yeah, your sibling. Yeah. So you said you were diagnosed at 18. Yes. And what was right. your diagnosis at um, that time? So, yeah, my um, doctor told me that I have major depression. So, and I thought, oh, this sounds terrible. And um, and they the doctor like wanted me to take tablets and uh, until I was about 
22, I kept not taking them. I kept resisting, thinking it, you know, I didn't want a, a tablet to um, define who I was. And um, I saw numerous doctors and they're all saying, no, you need to have tablets, you know. You need something that's going to help direct, um, you know, direct your feelings, um, help, you know, you deal with your feelings, I suppose, and the history that you've had. So, um, yeah, it took me quite some years um, to actually decide I would have them um, finally. But, um, yeah, I had quite a, like when I was about, I think it was 21 or something, so... Um, perhaps I just started having the medication um, from a psychiatrist. Uh, he put me on about eight different um, medications and I ended up having a seizure and being rushed, rushed to the hospital by an ambulance. So that was pretty terrifying. Like you just, um, I suppose you've got to be careful with um, the expertise of people that you see um, because that was the last thing I expected and um, having to go through that, yeah, when my mum found me on the ground, um, unconscious, yeah, it was pretty scary. Were you on eight medications at the same time? Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah so um, because I don't know this, and yeah, he was meant to be very um, experienced and stuff, but he obviously thought that I needed to have that much at one, you know, to get on top of the, how um, how sad I was feeling. So Yeah. So mm. what was the medication actually treating? What were the symptoms that the medication was meant to be treating? Um, I think it was just the sadness and just the maybe the grief, like the very bad grief that I had. But at the time I wasn't aware what it was um, relating to. So Okay. Yeah. So were you kind of crying all the time, lying in bed all the time? Uh, yes, I was doing a lot of that, yeah, yeah. and I just felt like I, like I didn't even want to go to work and yet I had a job and, um, <clears throat> and then I just started feeling like I couldn't even call in to work to tell them that I wasn't going to be there because I was too embarrassed that I had a problem. Mm. So, yeah, it was um, yeah, a lot of things going on at once, I suppose, and later on, years, to cut, uh, years further down the track, I discovered what it was all about, but... Um, yeah, it wasn't certainly pleasant to go through, but um, it's also very common depression. So um, it's no one's fault, you know. If you do get it, it can be a number of reasons why, um, biological or um, emotion, um, environmental, and stuff. So a combination. Mm. It's the leading cause of disability worldwide. So yeah. it really doesn't kind of discriminate on age, gender, or um, you know, race as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So after you started taking medication, were there any other sorts of things that you started to do that helped you recover? Yeah, um, definitely. So talking to people, like seeking help, that was the, yeah, the first thing like I did um, and actually enjoyed that, like to start with. Like, um, yeah, do you mean I've, friends? Um, no, like a professionals, like um, okay. counsellors and stuff. Yeah, like mm. people, yeah, with the experience in the field and knowing what I was going through and... Yeah, um, and also I use my twin sister as a sounding board as well. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> That's what siblings half. are for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I felt like I had a few people to turn to, so it was good. Um, mm -hmm. Being able to tell my story and to be listened to, that was the major thing mm -hmm. that I appreciated, um, having someone listen to me because I grew up in like a large family, six children, mm -hmm. um, So and I was the youngest, but I felt... I suppose at times that I wasn't being heard. So finally I, someone was stopping and listening to me. So Was it difficult for you to reach out to seek that professional help from like a counsellor? Yeah, it was. Like um, I felt really guilty for doing such a thing and I thought people would judge me. So, yeah, I felt 
that was a bit of a struggle for a few years until I realised, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting help if it's going to help me manage my symptoms. That's an important thing to recognise. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You've mentioned, you mentioned before about your uh, cats, that you've got two cats. Mm. You were telling us how yeah. important they are to you. Yeah, absolutely. I actually see my two cats as my lifeline because, um, you know, I consider myself, well, in a sense, recovered, um, but no one ever fully recovers. It's normal for people to relapse along the way and um, that's perfectly normal, um, perfectly understandable. Um but yeah, my cats, I don't know, they I love them so much. I have two of them, one's 11 and one's nine. And, um, you know, they just, they're actually a really good soothing tool. Like if I'm not feeling good, they actually, one of my cats, Scarlett, she actually knows when I'm not feeling good. So she'll come up and try to lie under my chin and go to sleep with me to give me cuddles. Like it's actually, you know, I think sometimes pets are undervalued for, mm-hmm. um, yeah, how much they can help you get through things. Pets are very intuitive like that. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, yeah. Yeah, so you've talked a little bit about... Um, sort of getting towards recovery but you've mentioned to us before that maybe two or three years ago you did have a relapse so do you want to tell us a little bit about things you started to notice about yourself that sort of meant that you might be going a bit under again yeah sure um no problem so I just started noticing that um I was sleeping all of the time actually uh, oversleeping like um yeah, like sleeping most of the day, really, like getting up at, say, six o'clock. And, you know, even then I felt like that was a bit of an effort to get up and I'd been sleeping maybe since 11 the night before. Mm. Um, so I just felt like sleeping was the only way I could escape how I was feeling and not having to face the world. Um but since that time, I must say, like, I've learnt that it actually is really important to get out into community. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the major benefits for myself would be um, just an opportunity to get out of my head and to realise that not the whole the whole world isn't bad. Um, because I think with depression, you, the negativity of thoughts that a lot of people encounter, um, you know, it can be a very vicious cycle and... Uh, just understanding and seeing that other people are out doing things can just give you a bit of incentive yourself to make a small change in your life where you can. Mm. Okay, so you really noticed that that kind of lack of energy and that kind of down mood had kind of come up for you again. And you had said before that that was maybe about a, a year after things that things had started to get better for you yeah um we were saying before that we don't really like the word relapse but there's kind of no other word for it really mm-hmm. um so you know what what did you do you know once kind of there was that understanding of um because as I was saying to you before Sarah when I've been I've experienced depression as well and when you do have that first relapse you can kind of s- think about it like you were saying think about it in a really really negative way and think that you've gone back to square one and things are awful again and things are never going to get better again um is that how you felt as well um I did like yeah I still struggled with that whole concept um to start with like it took maybe six months I think to get out of that cycle of thinking you know I've lost the plot and yeah I'm never going to be able to get back to where I was 
Um, but then, you know, I've got a good support team um, beside me. I like I have a GP who specialises in trauma and depression. And so I have her and I have, um, you know, a couple of other workers, um, trauma specialists and stuff that all work with me. And, you know, the advice that they give is, um, you know, just really good. Um, they tell it tell it to me exactly as I need to hear it um, to get me out of my way of thinking. Um, so they're, you know, quite brutal at times, but they need to be, which is really good um, because otherwise depression can often take over and I'll just believe the negative thoughts which aren't true of my circumstances. So mm. it's, yeah, just looking at things differently wherever possible to create some objectivity. Okay, and you were saying before that um, your attitude towards relapse has kind of changed a little bit can you speak to that a bit yeah sure so I used to um, see relapses you know an actual I suppose flaw of my own character whereas now I see it quite differently I understand that you know it's to be expected that it's just another um another hurdle that I need to go through um, because maybe it's some issue I haven't dealt with as thoroughly as I needed to and tried to push it under the carpet. Um, So I believe that things come back, you know, because they need to be dealt with and that's a way of moving us forward. So, yeah, absolutely, like it's just something that if it happens then that's what it is and we need to just work with that and sit with it and um, find a way out of it. Mm. So the recognition that it kind of comes and goes and that it's part of this is a lifelong a lifelong thing, but it, it is manageable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So beforehand we were talking a little bit about um, Sarah's experience and some of her um, symptoms. Um, yeah, so now we'll be talking about um, perhaps some coping mechanisms. Um, so what are what are some things that you do, Sarah, to to cope? Yeah, sure. Um, So when I notice that my feelings are starting to escalate and um, I'm not wanting them to get too out of um, control or, you know, not manageable, um, I often, well, you know, because of the day and age, I text someone um, and that normally is enough actually to uh, make me lessen my anxiety actually. Whether they reply or not that night, I normally find that that's something that just helps me um, connect with somebody else and know that I'll get a response back that somebody else cares about what I'm going through um so that's actually a really powerful one for me as well as that I also um uh, you know I engage in mindfulness I've really come to appreciate that whole concept uh living in the moment and I find it's a really good way of um, getting out of my head and um, just appreciating like th- simple things like the year I'm living in and, um, the, you know, where, where I'm actually situated, things that like, you can easily forget if you're just feeling really depressed and you can just put it all aside, um, you know, just disregard, I suppose, your current circumstances. So that's mm. what I do quite readily. And I also, um, the whole idea of getting out into community Um, as well even when I least feel like it is the most important thing Um, I've just recently learnt that that you know when I really don't want to get out that's when I actually need to get out to realize that I'm still living and that um, life isn't everything that my depression is telling me it is yeah and you were mentioning before you like to do arts and mosaics and stuff as well so yeah that that good for the 
Theatre Absolutely. Yeah, I love doing art. Um, I had such a huge gap from childhood till just, you know, maybe five years ago and now I do mosaics and it's actually a really um, calming thing to do to be able to feel with your hands and to be able to create and see a finished product at the end. So I find that's really good for my mental health um, because I've got something to focus on and often that's what I need to um, not get stuck with um, my negative thoughts that can arise at times. Hmm. Great, yeah. Um, you've got some of um, the mindfulness colouring books, which I absolutely yeah. love. And I think, Sarah, you've brought one in. Can yeah. Um, so, of course, because of my love of cats, it's a cat's colouring book for mindfulness. Mm. And, look, I haven't started it yet. I got it months ago from my twin sister, but it was the thought that counted, you know, it's about cats because that's all I ever think about, yeah. are my beautiful cats. So, um, <laughs> But, no, I think it's a very useful thing. You see them popping up in all the local stores and, you know, people are trying to create lots of versions of it, um, of just living in the moment and doing something to, you know... Um, so, you know, change your focus and, your spe- um, you know, your thinking. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a really nice way to engage, um, you know, change your mindset, I suppose. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were talking to us earlier about um, a big turning point in your recovery is when you sort of learn to put yourself in front, like your mental health in front of other people. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've always, I guess I've always wanted to do things for everyone else and not like put, I've put myself last basically on the list. Uh, and, and even with regards to my volunteer work with brainwaves, um, that would be a prime example. I, because of my relapse, I kept feeling so guilty. I should be here. I should be at brainwaves. I should be interviewing people and doing some volunteer work, but I actually physically couldn't do it because of my relapse. Um, so yeah, I, I just learned that it's okay to put myself first and it's okay okay for anybody to put their needs first because if we're not well, how can we assist other people or how can we engage in other parts of life if we haven't looked after ourselves first? So that was a huge lesson that I really needed to learn and um, I'm starting to, yeah, starting to actively um, put myself first, which feels good. That's, that's awesome and it's such a hard realisation to to come to Mm. um what are what are some of the things you know that you put in place for yourself um when you start to notice that you um you know may be relapsing or that you know what are the warning signs for you Mm -hmm. and what have you put in place or do you put in place um to kind of try and prevent um things from going off off track yeah um so well First, obviously, it's, you know, all of a sudden I'm thinking the whole world is very negative and there's not not much to offer in the world, I suppose, when I'm feeling depressed or when it's starting to escalate. So then I just, I find, um, you know, I try to make a list even normally about all the things I have achieved in my life, which contradicts that thought. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, you know, so I, I just then have a look at all the things I have achieved and I think, okay, so this isn't, the truth you know Um, my depression's trying to tell me that I haven't achieved much in my life but this is the actual um, evidence to say that's not the case Um, so I work from there Uh, and also things such as um, reading novels and stuff you know is a really useful thing for me 
because it's something I loved um, a long while back before I got depressed. So just engaging in something that used to give me some joy or something that gives other people joy, like it used to give you joy in the past, um, is something that you can re-engage with too as a way to look forward. Mm. So do you have any um, tips for anyone else that's going through relapse? Yeah, just to never give up. I mean... Your life is just so um, precious and even if, um, you know, you, you feel like you're not valued anymore, you don't value yourself or um, that you're going through such a difficult time, um, it's just important to find something, even if it's absolutely tiny, that has brought you joy in the past to, you know, try to reconnect with it. Um, you may even find that you are you don't even have motivation to do something that you used to find enjoyable um, but I just encourage you to find you know any way that you can to start start that process off again of um, doing something that you once found an enjoyable um, pleasure mm. yeah because that's the thing about um, depression is that when you've got no motivation everything else sort of seems to fly out the door and you were saying mm. earlier um, that you notice it in like housekeeping and stuff. Like if yeah. if you're having a bad couple of days, then the house t- t- uh, tends to get a little bit more messy and things like that. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Like it just feels like it's too much and all my washing will pile up, mm. um, feeling like it's going to hit the roof. And um, <laughs> it's really bad when Mine's you're like used to having enough. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a bit distressing, but you eventually get there. So that's all that matters. And it's not... Um, a serious matter can, compared to some world events. So I suppose that's what I need to remember and other people need to remember. Mm-hmm. We can only do what we can to get through each day mm-hmm. and that's enough. You um, were talking before about some um, self-help books that you've used, um, you know, for yourself, for yourself to help, you know, manage your depression yeah. and you've bought one of the books in. What's it, what's it called? Well, it's called Parts Work. Um, so it's to do with... An illustrated guide to your inner life. So it's just about the idea of knowing that um, people are not their diagnosis. That uh, each and every one of us, there are numerous parts to who that, to whom makes us up, and um, things like for my, for instance, myself, different parts that I have. I'm an auntie. I'm a twin sister. I'm a worker. I'm a volunteer. And I'm a pet owner, but I'm also many other things, and so is everybody else. We have lots of different parts that make us up, and um, it's so you know. Let's. Um, it's very easy, I think, with depression to just think that yeah, that's my whole world. But really, when you stop and take a bit of um, distance from your depression, you'll see that there's so much more that makes you you. Mm. So you're so much more than just a diagnosis, I think, is the common sort of cliched way of saying it. But it is really true. Like there's so much more to each person than just a label that's Mm. been given to them. So, yeah, Yeah. it's really great. Thanks. Mm. Um, And I suppose just to kind of wrap up, um, you mentioned that finding hope is really, really important. Mm. Um, And we know that for people who are depressed, there is very little to, to no hope. So I'm wondering, you know, what what was hope for you? And I think it'd be nice for us to kind of go around and say, have a think about, you know, what hope was for each of us because, you know, we've all experienced depression in our own way um, and hope is, is really important. So, Sarah, you can kick this one off. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> 
Um, just hope for me is just, you know, being able to get through each day and not wanting to give up on life, basically. Um, that's the most important thing because I'm worth so much more than that. Hmm. Yeah, so that just the whole idea that um, I'm not going to ever give in to depression um, gives me encouragement to live each day to my fullest. Mm. Mm. I think it's for me it's not like I have I have to finish things I have to feel like there's a sense of accomplishment and I'm yes what I really look forward to doing is finishing things and feeling like I've achieved Mm. yeah it's a bit bit little but yeah that's what I think of no that that's your own thing and that's what motivates you so no that's important I think um for me it was my sister I think my big driving force was my sister um and I wanted to keep get better for her I think mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that I could be the sister that I wanted to be hmm. yeah awesome all right um on that note we might um finish up um thanks everyone for for listening we've been speaking to Sarah about her experience of um depression and talking about um, relapse and life after relapse um if anyone's interested in purchasing some of the coloring books that Sarah's gotten you can grab them at newsagents um or you can actually grab them at the reject shop as well they're really cheap um you can listen to podcasts of our show at brainwaves.org.au you can also listen to them on 3cr.org.au or you can actually download them from itunes as well uh thanks for listening uh we'll be back next week stay tuned for renegade economists you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.